0: Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training,
1: sir!
2: Hey, welcome to episode 15 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. On today's episode... We'll tell you where we've been. We're gonna do some training talking because that's what Drew and I do. We talk training. We're gonna give you a book review. It's uh, Step Up or Step Out by Johnna White. We'll go to my favorite segment, which is Taken, things that Drew and I have seen in the stores or while we're around with folks and things we wanna share with you. There'll be an ad here and there as we go through this episode. We've got just an amazing interview with Stan Gage, who's been around the brand for nearly 40 years. We'll tell you where we're heading, and then we will wrap this thing
1: up. Drew, how are you doing today? I am doing fantastic, Sam. The only way I could possibly be better is if I were you. Wow. Wow. I'll take sarcasm for 100, please. But
2: anyways, (laughs) that's so nice of you to say. Let's uh, hear from Johnny, shall we?
3: I've
1: been everywhere, man.
3: I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bear man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere.
1: All right, Sam, where is it that you've been lately?
2: Well, I had the uh, pleasure of going to Cortland, New York. I spent some time with newly minted general manager David Leach. Had the opportunity to do some one-on-one leadership development in his store, help him become a better leader, a better communicator, learn how to talk to all of his team. And one of the things that really came up, you know, I posted on Facebook a while ago a quote that I really love, and that's, when you go into a room, you shouldn't adjust to the attitude, you should influence the attitude. And we had a couple of opportunities during my time with David where the attitude in the room wasn't exactly what you would say was horrific. And we worked on a couple of techniques and we found in one particular case, I mean, you could cut the tension in the room with a knife. And within a matter of 15 or 20 minutes, everybody in the store was laughing. We were talking about Adam Sandler movies. And I kind of looked at David and I just said to him, did you see what happened there over the last 10 minutes? And he had a big smile on his face and he did. And that was kind of the golden moment of the entire experience. And then I got in my car and I drove to the great state of Maine, visited some lobster shacks on the Atlantic Ocean. Oh my God, if you've never had lobster right out of the ocean, It should be on your bucket list. I mean, unless you're allergic to shellfish, then you shouldn't do it because then you'll just kick the bucket. But lobster right out of the ocean. Amazing, Drew. If you've never done it, you've got to do it. And that's where I've been. How about you, my friend? Where have you been? I
1: have not done lobster right out of the ocean. However, I'm hoping to get up to Maine sometime in September, October, and absolutely will do that. Yeah,
2: yeah. I put in a good word with Fernando for you to, to talk to his supervisors. Let's see if that pans out. Thanks so much.
1: Mine is not nearly as lengthy as yours because mine, it was my first vacation in two and a half years. Nice. That's where I've been. Yeah. Well, where'd you go? A little visit to St. Augustine, Florida. Cool. And what was the highlight of the trip? Oh, well, it was everybody's birthday. There were lots of zeros in the family. So 20 of us in a house for a week. Uh, I'm not going to tell you anything more than that. Just 20 family members in the house for a week. That's that's the highlight of the trip right there
2: nice that's fantastic it's like it just happened yesterday
1: it was so vivid it it, it is it is it is vivid and for any of you that have ever done a week with family in a house you know exactly why i'm not sharing anything more so sam let's talk training huh
2: yeah let's uh let's hear from our good friend tom Thanks, Tom. Always good to hear a little music clip from you. So on our last episode, Drew, we talked about change management. And we talked about the importance of that as we're going into new initiatives and there's all these changes that are ever happening in Domino's Pizza. We touched on it a little bit that I think that for the most part, our franchisees and our general managers are really good at tackling whatever's coming down the pike, whatever is new, whatever the hot new thing is. And I think I alluded to it a little bit in the last episode. It seems to me like we're possibly losing the amount of attention I think is deserved to the fundamentals, the building blocks, the things that have made Domino's Pizza great. And that's product, service, and image. Are you seeing as you visit stores... And obviously, without calling anybody out, but are you seeing the amount of attention and the the need
1: for product quality that we've seen in the past? For me, Sam, it's completely dependent on client. It seems like it is all great or all not great. There's usually not a middle ground that if... The franchisee has put product high on their list and they have told people, even with little training, that that every time the supervisor comes in, you're looking at product. Every time the GM is on dough or on cut table, you're looking at product. I see good product. And if that expectation hasn't been set, I might not be seeing the same good product.
2: So, we talk a lot about expectations. And in the book we reviewed a couple episodes ago, Clone Yourself, they talked about the need for leaders to have a vision and have guiding principles. And you're going to hear Stan talk about that in today's interview. And one of the franchisees that I really look up to, and we had the opportunity to speak to, I think it was in episode two, is four consecutive time now Gold Franny winner Eric Arnston. And Eric Arnston is Eric, don't take this the wrong way. But Eric Arnston is just crazy, mad, nuts, nutsy cuckoo about product quality. To him, if we're not making great product, nothing else matters. And I would say that that is a great ship to be on. Because at the end of the day, our technology is fantastic. I mean, I think we've got better technology than anybody in the industry. Our new stores are beautiful. I love the new uniforms. I love everything that Domino's Pizza is doing lately. And the, the things that keep coming out just continue to amaze me. At the end of the day, we're a restaurant. Even though our name is Domino's now, and it's not Domino's Pizza anymore. Pizza is still our core product. And we've got to make great pizzas. We've got to understand that when Tom talked about product, service, and image, that product was first for a reason. It's what people call us for. They call us for our food. They want great service. They want you to be an image. They love all the technology, but all of that stuff is second to our pizzas. And I think we've got to do a better job of really doing a great job of making great pizzas. So I look at it, they come at this a little different.
1: Running the OER team for a few years, doing all the data for Team USA. The the great pizza scores haven't moved in a decade. So I look at this as a it's even not about training. It's it is about finding more instances. It's about finding that expectation. It's not a matter of eighty three percent is good because that means seventeen percent of your customers had a hundred percent bad experience. We say that again: seventeen percent of your customers had a hundred percent bad experience. So why would you accept a single bad product? You have to set the expectations for your store, for your team. And we can talk image and we can talk service and we can talk product. It all, it all, it all, it all starts with the leader. And if you're not setting expectations, holding your team able and then recognizing them, you know, maybe like what we talked about on our last webinar, you're probably having issues in one or more of these three categories.
2: And I would say in those three categories, to me, these are the easy ones. These are the small battles that we're going to talk about later in the book slash document that we review. Uh, winning these small battles, and you know, when it comes product and image, I don't think there's anything easier in the store to set clear cut, full fledged expectations because it's all black and white. When you look at product, we've got standards. When you look at pizzas we've got the five elements of a gray pizza rim size portion placement bake when it comes to image everything is detailed from your head to your toe and everywhere in between there is not a lot of gray area When it comes to image, the key is exactly what you said, Drew. As leaders, we've got to set clear-cut expectations and we've got to hold people able because we gave them the expectations and then hold them accountable because they're adults and we're leaders. So we've got to do those things. So let me back up just a little bit. You said that as a director of the OER, the pizza scores hadn't moved in a decade.
1: What are those pizza scores? 81, 82, 83% grades. So it's, it's been within those two points for a decade. So,
2: you know, when I went to high school, if I got an 82 on a test, I was pretty darn happy. Wasn't maybe the best student ever, but you know, that's a B I'm okay with a B, a B student's pretty good. But if I'm a doctor delivering babies and 81% is my success rate, now that that 81% doesn't look so good. If I am a pizza customer and I order 10 times in a year and twice, it's awful. That
1: doesn't look so good. No, but I might be able to survive that. I might, depending on when I get that bad pizza as a customer, I might be able to survive it. It does mean when the competition rolls into town, your sales will drop because they have a reason to try somebody else. But if their first order is the bad one, you're not getting 10 orders, you're getting one. And that's where the problem lies. I think what's happened over the
2: last 18 months is we've got a lot of people that say, yeah, but you don't understand. We're selling more pizzas than we could ever want to. And if one or two customers go away, so be it. Yeah, Stan does a great job. And you're going to hear him say it in the interview. There's a lot of people in Domino's Pizza right now that this is the first real Challenge that we faced when we talk about staffing and we talk about retention. The next real problem that you're going to face if we don't get this product in line is you're going to see a horrible sales slide. Sooner or later, you're not making great product that's going to really show in your sales trends. You know, I tell people all the time when we're doing workshops about product or or the OER comes up. If you worked for me, and scored anything less than 20 points on those five pizzas, we're gonna sit down and make sure that you understand what the expectations are. And that the only time we are gonna celebrate victory is when we score 20 points. Not four out of five, which is 80%. Not, oh, I missed this because that. Pizza is our core product. It's what we do. There is no excuse to me why you ever miss any of those 20 points. And I think that's the expectation you have to sit at. And when we talk about guys like Eric Arnston, there is absolutely no way he is going to accept his team's missing pizza points and there not be a complete debrief after that of why we miss them. What can we do to get better? And how are we going to move forward? Because that's not acceptable. Pizza is the core of our business i i can't say it enough i feel like i feel like on this podcast when we talk about pizza maybe it's talking about things that are that are lower than things we should talk about but then i think this is what we do if we can't
1: do pizza what can we do so i look at it sam that it's all part and parcel to that expectations accountability and recognition of the product or the image or the service or the lack of staff, or the high turnover, or the poor retention are all just symptoms of that root that I'm not setting an expectation. I'm not training my team to do that expectation. And I don't celebrate or redirect, as we talked about in One Minute Manager with the recognition piece. A couple of minutes ago, you start to giggle because you could probably see me on our video feed uh, counting because I was going back through my clients and I'm like, How many clients have I had pizza grading tools? Because I teach the supervisors the snapshot. And after they wash their hands and they go into the production area, they've got to look at the pizzas on the rack. And I think I was at the last five haven't had a pizza grading tool in any of the stores we visited. And it's really hard to know what's a great pizza if you don't have the tool to use to measure it. It then becomes Drew's a remake, or or so much worse. Your OER coaches—the definition of the remake—use the tool. So here's my challenge for you: You're listening to this podcast. We get responses, we get emails, we get posts. Shoot us a response to this with a uh, email. You know what? Email us, Sam. I don't want it going on social media. I want an email right. yes. of a picture. I want an email of a picture of your pizza grading tool in your store. Show me your pizza grading tools. And then we'll give you a shout out in the next uh, podcast. So let's give everybody an opportunity to have some homework from this podcast.
2: So if you've got the pizza grading tool in your store and you're using it, send us an email with a picture. If you're thinking to yourself, oh my gosh, I don't have one. I can't send a picture then let's give yourself and your team an opportunity to reset the expectations and reach out to whoever you need to reach out to to get that pizza grading tool and then make a commitment to your team and yourself to learn how to use that thing. Listen, if you don't know how to use it, there's no shame in that. If nobody has told you how to use it or nobody has set an expectation of how to use it, it's not your fault that you don't know
1: how to use it. There is a great tool on Learning Hub called the Great Remake Tool. And it tells you how to use the guide. There you go.
2: But now that you've heard this, and now that you've got a resource, thanks, Drew, for that on Learning Hub, and you know that there's a tool out there, if you don't do something about it, if you don't do something to set yourself up to get those 20 points, to make great pizzas, to deliver outstanding Domino's experiences for your team members and your, and your customers, then moving forward, now it becomes your fault. Because now you have the knowledge now you know what the expectation should be. So you got to go out there and you've got to make a change. You've got to make the hard decision to make a change and make sure that that gets done. Drew, anything else on product service or image and change management and expectations? And holy cow, we covered a little bit of ground in this, uh, in this one.
1: No, I, th- I think we're good. I think we're so good. I think we just cut to the ad about our next fabulous service-focused virtual training event.
2: Drew, we've talked a lot about training
0: and we did a virtual training event. Do you think we should do another one? I think we should, Sam. And I think we should do it on August 24th at 2 p.m. That sounds great to me. And let's do this one all about service. Let's put the service in product, service, and image. I'm a huge fan of that, Sam. And what breakouts should we do? Well, let's start with how to get faster in the store. Let's call that speed on the front end. How about then we do dispatching with efficiency? I like it, and let's finish it up with aces in their places. I like it.
1: Same cost as the last one, $49 bucks per ticket?
0: Yeah, I think we should do a $5 discount. Discount code PODCAST. I like that, Sam. 5 bucks off for podcast at checkout. And you're going to go to trainwithbty.com to register.
2: Again, that's trainwithbty.com to register. Register today. All right. Welcome back. So, in uh, Let's Talk Training, we talked about product. And then, in that ad that I just heard, we're going to have the opportunity to talk about service. And image is the easiest one. So, in the matter of just a few short weeks, we could really up your game in product, service, and image. And the only thing that is stopping you from doing that is you. So get out of your own way and let's uh, let's make those things happen. Take it away, Burgess. Books, books, all the books I'll need, all the books, all the books I'll ever want. All right. This week, our book review is Step Up or Step Out by Aussie Jono White. I'm not even sure how I came across this one, but this one was my choice. I think I saw it on Facebook. Jono is a self-proclaimed influencer on leadership And he had an offer for a book. He said uh, to Drew, "Let's, let's get this book. So we both ordered it, expecting it to come in the mail. And lo and behold, we got an email with a download for a PDF version of the, and I use this term loosely, book, 66 pages, double spaced, huge font. So this is going to be our review of, of that book from John White. So I'm going to let you start, Drew, because I think we might end up in a little different place on this one based on
1: some of the discussions we've had over the last couple of days. All right. So first, I just want to mention how creepy Facebook is because I ordered this and within mere minutes, the next time I was on Facebook, John White was all in my feed. All in my feed. Um, it's kind of odd and creepy how good Facebook is at this. What this book did for me was it told me to get off my tail and finish writing the book that I have planned for supervisors and being an effective, efficient supervisor. Because thirty-three pages of this was John O telling us why we should listen to him. Fifteen pages of it was setting up a poor experience and a good experience. Once you got to the actual content mind super. it's the poor man's version of clone yourself it's the poor man's version of one new one minute manager in my book
2: i think that if i were a betting guy i would say that this is Jono's first attempt at writing a book and the thing that i liked about it and and i did like it is that it validated a lot of the things that you and i have been talking about it was yes. al- it was almost as if it were notes from our virtual training events about expectations and holding people able through accountability and recognition. So it was almost like a review of our virtual training event. So I really liked that. It validated to me what we had been teaching. And that is always a plus in my book. We've talked in the past, Drew, that we like books that are fables. There was a little bit of a fable in here. And then you said you. Yeah. And then you said you also like the books that are written like a training manual. And I think there's a bit of that in here as well. Now, again, I'd I'd be remiss if I didn't say that we're using the term book very loosely. I mean, you, you talked about the length of yep. the document. And let's be honest, it's a document. I was looking for a date. I was looking for a publishing date so that we could give credit like we always do. And there's none of that. I mean, it is literally a PDF that you download. With that said, I think there's some good stuff in it, and I like how quick it was to get through. And I think it it does a good job of giving credit to the people where he's gotten the ideas from. I mean, he names a lot of the people that we we use that we've read. And I don't think he does anything. I don't think there's any smoke and mirrors here. I don't think there's any hi. Yep. I'm Jono, and I've got the greatest thing since sliced bread yep. to give you. I think he do, does. What trainers always do. And to me, yep. what the very best trainers do is they read stuff, they see stuff, they experience stuff, and then they repackage it in a way that they can deliver it to get the very best performances out of their teams. And I think that's what Jono has done here. He's read a lot of the same stuff that you and I have read, he's seen a lot of the same stuff that you and I have done. Dare I say it, I think he's doing the same things that you and I are doing he's taking all this stuff and and he's packaging it and i think you said it best when we talked a couple of days ago I think what I really want to warn our listeners of if they decide to go down this road is that, uh, what did you call it? A click funnel. you know, Because once you click on one thing, it takes you to the next thing. And if you liked the book, then you'll love the videos. And if you like the videos, then you'll like this. And he has done a great job of learning how to market and learning how to draw you in. He is a beginning Brendan Burchard. I would be really surprised if he has not looked into Brendan's stuff and taking all his lessons because it is a mirror image of what Brendan does. So, Sam, if I if I can real
1: quick, yeah. he's got his three stages. So let's back up a second. Yeah. this is about dealing with your difficult team members. Absolutely. Stage one he has is set clear expectations. Hey, that sounds familiar. I don't know if you've picked up on this yet. Oh my gosh, how many times do we have to hammer on this? Please set clear expectations. Stage two was clarify your expectations. So let's go back to one minute manager, right? This is the redirect. This is, is setting up to make sure that your team understands. And then interestingly, he gets this place where your difficult team, if you do stage one and stage two, will self-correct in four weeks. Now, let me be clear on what self-correct means. In his world, it's either they'll get on board or they'll get out. And if you think about how many team members you've had quit as soon as you start laying expectations down, this is exactly what he's talking about.
2: I think for the people that are saying, if I hold my team accountable, they're going to quit. Some will. Yeah. I think this document is a great read for them. And I think what it's saying is that if they're not on board, then they shouldn't be on board. They're not on board with your plan, then they shouldn't be on board your ship or they shouldn't be in your bus. So, you know, there were a couple of things that I really liked out of it. One of his solutions was don't hire difficult people. And we've hammered on it a couple of times that you've got to do an interview and you've got to do selection. And just because you need five spots filled doesn't mean you hire the first five warm bodies coming in. And that's very challenging when you do need those five people. I get it. You're going to start creating a merry-go-round or... A circular door where people are just coming in and coming out and coming in and coming out. And
1: that's going to make your life just awful. So I I think that's really important. I haven't found anybody that likes interviewing. I haven't found anybody that likes onboarding. And yet we force ourselves to do it over and over and over and over again because we hire everyone that comes through the door as long as they pass the background check, the MVR, and they can bog a mirror. And maybe, maybe, just maybe. Stay step zero of the step up, step out should be the biggest one, which is don't hire difficult people. Right. And if you're not sure if the person is difficult, ask more questions in the interview.
2: And uh, where we've been, we talked about, you know, I was in Maine with Fernando and one of the days we spent was all around. Hiring and doing the star selection situation task. What did they, what was their action and what was the result? And and learning how to ask those questions and spending time with your candidates to figure out if they're going to be a fit for your team. I would rather spend 30 minutes that leads to a decision to not hire than spend three weeks that leads to a decision to, oh, I shouldn't have hired. Or they just quit. I can't stress enough the importance of an interview where you lay out your full-fledged expectations and you give the candidate an opportunity to ask their questions so that the interview goes two ways. You know, The last thing I'm going to say about the document, I'm just going to read a quote out of it. And what Jono says is, do whatever you have to do to avoid hiring difficult people. In my opinion, your HR process should be the process you spend the most time and money on getting right and do it at the front end because it makes everything a hundred times easier. He says nothing else in the book that I would agree with more
1: than that statement. May I interject a little story? Absolutely. I vividly remember the first person I turned down during the interview process. Okay. I'd probably been a GM for six or seven months. But this is late '90s. I don't think I'd hired maybe two people in those six or seven months. I'm doing whatever seven or eight thousand dollars, and I'm interviewing the CSR. And one of the questions I always asked was, "What did you like most about your previous job, and what did you like least?" Just because it gives me an idea of where their heads at. To this day, I can I can recite to you the exact answer was, "What did you like most about working at McDonald's?" And it was at the end of the shift we got free food, whatever was left in the ice cream machine or the fries we got to go home with. All right, cool. What did you like least? She's applying to be a CSR. And her answer was, I hate dealing with customers. Hmm. I don't like talking to people. I don't like looking at people over a counter. It's just the worst part of the job. Okay. I had never... Oh my gosh. That's great. I finished the interview. I didn't ask any, I asked my standard questions. I didn't do any of the follow-up questions I would normally do. And the interview ended and she left and my team was like, Oh, she was smiley. She was happy. She looked, Nope, Nope. We're not hiring her because she doesn't want to deal with customers. If I don't ask the questions, I would have never known that. And to Sam's point three weeks later, I would have been like, Oh my God, why do I have 10 complaints on you already? Yeah. Why do I have to call on you to go get the phone every three seconds? So like Jono says,
2: you know, spend time and money at the front end and get it right. And you're not going to get it right all the time, but you're not going to get it right any of the time. If you don't spend some time asking questions and trusting your gut and making sure that you're doing a selection process. So, so with all that said, where's
1: this book going, Sam?
2: Yeah, where's, I'm going to let you go first, Drew, uh, where this going in the backpack, on the desk, on the shelf, in the donation bin, or are you going to download this and
1: send it to people for them? I can't do anything with it. It's a PDF. I can't put it on a bookshelf. <laughs> I'm not going to print it. I guess what, what irked me, Sam, was this book cost more than one minute manager. Yeah, it kind of it did. Yeah, this is going to my, my dustbin. If this were a hard paperback, I'd probably donate it.
2: Okay. Well, in the spirit of Drew... I'm going to add a new category. Congratulations. Thanks. I've been waiting because what you just said is exactly the thought process I went through as I was determining what my final review was going to be on this guy. And it can't go on the desk because I'm not going to print it. It can't go on the shelf because I use my computer. Uh, So for me, it's going to go on the hard drive. It's going to be there because there were a couple of tidbits in it. And for me, the thing I liked the most... Was simply that it validated what you and I have been teaching and what we've been saying. The more and more books we read, the more and more validation I have for the things that we're helping young leaders to develop and that we're helping franchisees to develop their teams. And this one, there was nothing in this one that I disagreed with. And almost no, no, I, I agree with that statement. Absolutely. And everything was a validation. So for me, this one's going to be in the hard drive. You know, if you're out there and, and you want to take a a twelve minute look at it? Yeah, I'd suggest that. I nine for me. Yeah, I swear, yeah. <laughs> nine nine. You minutes. know, I think there's good stuff. Just just be be leery of the click funnel that you're going to be thrown into. So that's our review of Jono and his book slash document. Step up or step out. And now it's time to hear from Liam.
1: I do have. Are a very particular set of skills skills I've acquired over a very long career. Sam, what have you taken from the stores?
2: So for me, this is going to go back to St. Louis, where you and I both had the opportunity to get up in front of over 100 general managers and supervisors in, in what was just a great event put on by the local franchisees. And I got an email about 10 days ago, and it said, and I'll just read it verbatim, thank you and Drew both for doing this podcast. I saw you both speak in St. Louis, and I'm running a high-volume store pretty darn well, I might add. I didn't think I needed any stinking podcast to improve. I was wrong. If you stop learning, you stop earning. And what I really liked about that email, it was someone that is doing well, and there's a lot of you out there that are doing great. And he decided that maybe I should take a flyer and and listen to this podcast. And some of you are thinking, maybe I should take a flyer and and read one of these books. What you're going to find and what you're going to hear Stan say later in the interview is the most successful people are the people that are continually trying to learn something new. Early on in our podcast, we talked to Anthony Satterwhite, and one of the questions that we asked him was, if you could go back and talk to a young Anthony, what would you say? And without hesitation, Anthony said, I'd tell myself I'm not as good as I think I am. And that's not saying that you're not good. That's saying that there's more out there if you have an open mind, if you have a desire to learn, if you have a desire to continue your development. And then we had the opportunity to talk to Don May. There is nobody on the face of the planet that knows anything at all about Domino's Pizza that wouldn't say Don May has been a little bit successful. And Don told us that in his organization, every day is training day. You're either learning something or you're teaching something. And for somebody that's the CEO of a company that is leading nearly 3,000 stores now, I saw yesterday, And for him yep. to say he can still learn, then if you're an 18, 19, 20, 25, 30, 35-year-old general manager, there's probably something you can still learn as well. You know, we talked to Luanne Dellinger, congratulations, are in order on your third consecutive national general manager of the year. Oh my goodness. And Luanne told us that she's learning things all the time. I mean, there's only one national general manager of the year. So no matter how good you're doing, if you're not that current title holder, then you could be doing better. And that's not to say you're doing bad. That's saying you could be doing better. And the key to that is making sure that you learn something. So my taken is something that it took me a little while to wrap my head around because I was always that guy that thought I was doing the best job that had ever been done. And that is you've got to know that there's always something else to learn. There's always a way for you to get better. And you've got to surround yourself with people that are creating results that you're not creating. And you've got to look into resources that you haven't looked into before. You know, I think I said it before on earlier podcasts, Drew, that since we started reading all these books, I'm a little disappointed in myself that I didn't take the advice I was given many years ago and start reading more books. Uh, because these books are enlightening and they help me through thinking through things. And I find myself with better and clearer observations when I've got the opportunity to be in front of people and I'm helping them with their development. So for goodness sake, folks, get out of your own way. You know, absolutely congratulate yourself on the great things that you're doing and realize that there's more out there if you're open to it. So that's my taking. How about
1: you, Drew? What's your taken? So my taken is uh, celebrations. Uh, I've been able to be a part of the first GM rally in over a year in the Garrity organization a few months ago. And at the end of July, I was part of uh, Team Cobb's first in-person GM meeting in almost nine months. And, and we do a really good job of saying stuff like work hard, play hard. And the play hard's been lost for the last while. So if you haven't done something to celebrate your team, if you haven't gone to Wendy's and get a, got everybody frosties in the middle of a hundred degree day, like just do something to celebrate your team because those that are winning are celebrating and and celebrate, celebrate. And it could be, it could just be around a high fives. It could be taking them out to top golf or frosties, do something to celebrate your team. Because, well, you've accomplished. I know you've accomplished because you're still here. You're still listening. So, so find a way to celebrate. That's my take in.
2: Yeah, and I would add to that, Drew, if you have been celebrating, mix it up. Give them something new. So it's not the same old thing. I mean, if they've had fresh made cinnamon rolls for every shift for the last 30 days, maybe it's time for something a little bit new. Uh,
1: but you and, and just don't make it a veggie tray. Nobody likes veggie trays. Don't do the veggie tray. <laughs> That's not a celebration. You could go Luann on them and put out a, a full-fledged barbecue buffet. Or my man Gordon, shout out to Gordon who does the gumbo buckets. Yeah. Yeah. So all kinds of things you can do. I love that taken.
2: Uh, with that, let's go to our next
1: ad. Drew,
2: we've talked a lot about
0: training and we did a virtual training event. Do you think we should do another one? I think we should, Sam. And I think
1: we should do it on August 24th at 2 p.m.
0: That sounds great to me. And let's do this one all about service. Let's put the service in product, service, and image. I'm a huge fan of that, Sam. And what breakouts should we do? Well, let's start with how to get faster in the store. Let's call that speed on the front end. How about then we do dispatching with efficiency. I like it. And let's finish it up with aces in their places. I like
1: it. Same cost as the last one, 49 bucks per ticket.
0: Yeah, I think we should do a $5
2: discount. Discount
1: code podcast. I like that, Sam. Five bucks off for podcast at checkout. And you're going to go to trainwithbty.com to register.
2: Again, that's trainwithbty.com to register. Register today.
1: You know, I can't wait to do the service virtual training event, Sam. I... I see so much fast improvement when I do pieces of this in the field that to be able to give this to 100 or 150 or 200 of our closest friends. I am so excited over this upcoming virtual training event.
2: Yeah, it's going to be pretty cool. And the fact that we had a chance to actually put it in action in a store in our little beta test to see it work was
1: pretty amazing. So looking forward to that as well. Speaking of amazing service we got to interview Stan Gage. What you're going to hear is the fabulous franchisee that Sam and I both worked for in our career. I got him twice. Were you just once Sam or twice? That's a great question. I know
2: that once, I was with Stan once.
1: (laughs) Yeah, wow, it it was a lifetime (laughs) ago, dude. It's, It's so long ago for both of us that we have to think about it. So without any further ado, let's hear from our guest this week, Stan Gage. All right, Stan, thanks for joining us today. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me, Drew. For the six people listening that don't know who you are, would you mind telling us your story? Oh, man, how much time you got? Uh, As much time as you want to give us. (laughs) Started as
3: a part-time driver in 1985 while serving in the Marine Corps Reserves, and I've been here ever since. So that's the short version. Lots of stops in between, but 36 years and counting and still loving it.
2: So let's talk about some of those stops in between. Obviously, there's been, with anybody that's been in this business, some ups and downs. What What do you think, as you look back over those 36 years, what's your greatest accomplishment
3: to date? I'm going to have to quote Tom Brady here when he was asked, what's his favorite Super Bowl? He says the next one. And I think as long as you're working towards something you work a lot harder and you have a lot more fun when you feel like you've already done it. It's kind of like, what's the point? So I get that question a lot and I've, I've tried really hard to like pinpoint a few things that I really would feel worthy of that answer. And, and I just, I just can't come up with it. It just, yeah, I've had a lot of highs, like you said, and a lot of lows. There's been certainly a lot of difficulties in the brand over 36 years and challenges, but you know, the, the one thing that stays constant is change and there's always a new challenge. There's always something new that's coming at us. There's always some headwinds. There's always something to fight through. And as long as you've got the attitude that you're going to make it it's, and, and keep it positive, it, it stays fun.
2: Nice. That's a great answer. I would expect no less. <laughs> so uh, when we talk about challenges along the way, what would you say has been some of the biggest opportunities to learn from things that maybe didn't go according to plan?
3: Well, We've been so successful the last, you know, twelve, thirteen years. Uh, ever since you know Russell Weiner joined our brand back in '08, and and came up with this idea of this new and inspired, and really, you know, changed the way our brand operated. Combined with the the digital, I mean, the digital. Oh my God! You know what we've done over those last same years in digital has just propelled us to such a point that so many people that work in our brand have no idea what it's like to suck. They're like, man, this is just great. We're just number one. We're awesome. We kick ass. Nobody can stop us. And they don't know what 1992 was like. They don't know what 2008 was like. And, you know, you think back to those times for those of us that went through all that. And, you know, there's an old saying, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And there's some tough, tough times, man. I mean, there were People losing their businesses, people, you know, they couldn't pay their bills. Uh, You know, all that difficulty just made us as a brand stronger as we prepared for new and inspired and beyond. But I I really feel like this now, today, the adversity we're facing today in 2021 for many people is the first time they've really felt like what it's like to have the true uphill battle. Because I don't know about everybody else, but, you know, I'm going up against some pretty big numbers from last year and they're not exactly easy to beat.
1: So along those lines of all these opportunities and these learning moments for you, um, what is the thing that you've taken out of it that maybe gave you your greatest learning moment where you looked at it and said, okay, I need to do this different?
3: Positive energy brings positive results. It's really easy when things are going bad to just join the fellowship of the miserable, as Dave Brandon once called it, and just complain and gripe. And you you start to feel better about yourself if others are complaining with you and you almost join this camaraderie of the fellowship of the miserable and you feel good about that for a moment. And then you wake up and you're like, man, this, this still sucks. I'm still negative in sales or my service is still bad or my store is still dirty or whatever. And until you attack it with positive energy, you're not going to get the positive results. And that's the biggest mindset shift that happened to me during all those tough periods of our brand's history.
2: So I'm working with a client this week and I was in a store and I think it was the local chapter of the Fellowship of the Miserable. And one of the things I was trying to to help the general manager in his development was how to change that negative energy that was just in the room so thick you could cut it with a knife. What kinds of things have you done with your teams in the past that have helped you identify that the fellowship was starting to gather? And and what did you do or what would you suggest to new leaders to do to help turn that energy around?
3: Well, the first thing is people don't care what you know until they know that you care. And you've got to show those people on that team that you're in it with them. You can't be sitting in the office working 35 hours a week, barking out your door uh, that they need to work harder and do better. They need to see you in the trenches doing it with them and keeping that positive attitude and something, you know, I've heard both of you guys say over the in the past many years is that's when you start to change hearts and minds. You you can't really change the mind, I think, until you change the heart. Until you just get someone believing that they have to do something differently, they're not going to do it. They're they they might fake it, but they're not really going to believe it and really going to act on it.
1: So along those lines, we've read a bunch of books for this podcast and we've reviewed them. And it's amazing how the the mindset and the positivity creeps through in every leadership book. So what do you do, Stan, for self-development?
3: Oh, I'm weak at that, man. I'm I'm glad you guys read books because you can tell me all the good Cliff Notes parts because I don't. I I have a really hard time focusing on a book, so I don't read much. I do listen a lot. I I like to visit and and I'm I'm more of a hands-on learner. So I like to go see franchisees that are doing great and hope that a little bit of that rubs off on me. I think we're a culture... That loves to get together, and now that we can do that again, I'm like going everywhere. I want to, I want to learn. I want to be in stores. I want to, you know, study and understand what people are doing to make a difference and make a positive impact. So that's that's the number one for me.
2: You know, to go with that, Stan. Both Drew and I were fortunate enough uh, to work under your leadership and 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 learn from you. And thank you so much for that. It's been my observation that what you just said is absolutely true you like to surround yourself with people that know what the heck is going on but the thing that i've i've really noticed about you and about other folks that that do great things is even though they're quite possibly one of the smartest people in the room or one of the most experienced people in the room it seems like that they speak only when spoken to and that they understand that there's two ears and one mouth and there's a reason for that that amount And always trying to soak up what's next. What would you say to a young leader that thinks they know it all and is constantly trying to prove to everyone in the room that they're the smartest one in the room and why that might not be the best way to go?
3: Well, that person probably isn't listening to this podcast. You're probably... Preach into the choir a little bit here because you probably have a bunch of folks that have already recognized that. But if they're still out there, I would just tell them exactly what you just said. The two ears and one mouth thing is something that I remind myself of often. And the other piece is if you want to continue to do everything, then be the only leader in the room if you want to relax a little bit if you want to let your team start to do some of the heavy lifting then pass the leadership on to them and the best way to do that is to shut up you stop talking or you stop doing and you let them do and yes they'll make mistakes of course they will just like you did when you were in that same position but they will learn they'll get stronger and then your whole team will get stronger if you're the only leader if you're the only voice then number one, you might make a mistake on something and lead your entire team in the wrong directions. And number two, you won't develop any other leaders on your team.
2: So when it comes to that delegating and letting the other leaders do things, there's a guy on your team that I have just always really looked up to and admired and thought that, man, this dude just gets it. He understands human interaction and how to talk to any people. And he's so humble and he's just a great guy. And tell us what you're looking
3: for when you're looking for a leader and you come across a Buddy Carpenter. I knew you were talking about Buddy based on the description. And you know, when I when I first talked to Buddy about joining, I was making a giant leap and I wanted somebody on my team that I knew shared the same vision and values that I did. But comes at it with a totally different personality. You know, Buddy and I have completely conflicting and opposite leadership styles, but what we share is a common humility. You know, there's the opportunity to develop others and the desire to develop others. And just as you described it, you know, he's the whole piece about taking great care of your people is something that... That is Buddy Carpenter. He will do anything for a team member on this team to make sure they're successful. He makes sure that others get the credit. That's another important piece. You know, if you stand up on top of your tower and you scream how awesome you are, but there's people that are reporting to you that aren't getting any of that credit, well, that wears off on them pretty quick. When you prop them up and you give them the credit, then they work even
1: harder for you. So, along those lines, Stan, of how folks work harder and how you and buddy approach things differently for those listening and might not completely know, let's just say one likes ACDC and the other likes the grateful dead.
3: That is one. Well, one likes ACDC. The other one, it loves, loves. The grateful dead. So <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Very different. Yep. That's a, uh, that's a good, that's a good example of of the difference in our styles and our approach. But again, when you come back to the commonness, there's a commonness, you know, he, I don't have to worry about what he's thinking and what he's saying in a store. I don't have to worry with him if there is a difficult team member situation. I know he's going to follow our values and guiding principles. You know, the first one is do the right thing. And I know he's going to do that. And I know he's going to always act with integrity. And that to me is the most important thing. There may be mistakes. You know, I, I make plenty of mistakes in this new role that I've been in for almost three years now. And Buddy makes mistakes. And I forgive the mistakes. But what I could not forgive was is a lack of integrity and doing the wrong thing. And he doesn't do that.
1: From a leader standpoint, when you're looking to pass that leadership baton on, is having that diversity important to you? If it is, can you give other examples of, of ways that uh, leadership is different from you to, to the folks you work with? Yeah, I think diversity
3: is extremely important. And that's something that I learned. Uh, I had to learn the hard way. You know, when I was a supervisor of eight stores, I liked all eight managers to be just like me. I wanted them all to think like me, walk like me, talk like me. And I learned the hard way that when you don't have any diversity on your team, and and I, I mean diversity at all levels, diversity of thought, you know, you need somebody on your team that challenges the way you think. If you don't do that, nobody's perfect. I'd like to meet someone that has gone through every day of their life and not made a mistake. And if you don't have someone on your team that's going to challenge you, I don't want bobbleheads. I don't want yes men. I don't want people that just nod and say, yep, 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 got it. And then they leave my office and say, man, what an idiot. I can't believe we're going to do it this way. But we are because Stan said so. If you don't have people that push back, you're going to potentially lead them off a cliff. You've got to have that diversity of thought and respect the values and differences of everyone, whether that's political beliefs, race, you know, everything. It's not, you know, people think diversity and their mind goes one place. It's really everything. If you can surround yourself with a team of very diverse people, you're going to have a much better chance of success, I believe.
2: So I'm a big believer of that as well, that you need opposing viewpoints and you need people that are going to to push back. The thing that I think would really help our listeners, especially the younger ones that may be just starting their journey into leadership, is when do you know to challenge the leader? And when do you know that the challenge has been lost? And it's time to just get in line and and, and do what they say. Because you know, you've got the three rules for success, and that's you know, do what your boss says and don't get fired and don't quit. And, it, and I don't think any of those rules say don't challenge. And I, I think what some of the younger leaders have a challenge with is, well, I just heard Stan say, challenge your leader. So I'm gonna challenge my leader until I get my way. And I don't think you said that.
3: No, definitely not. So you immediately made me think back to several bosses I've had and one in particular that I used to help coach people on was Patrick. And I reported to Patrick three different times in my career, Patrick Doyle. And I used to tell people three yeps equal a got it. And I'd go, what does that mean? I go, just go ahead and tell Patrick your idea. And if he says, got it, that means shut up, stop talking. He's heard you and he's going to process it. And he's going to make his decision. If he keeps saying, yep. And he gets to the third one, You've reached the same level of got it, so you got to understand a little boss management. And when your boss is open to listening to your ideas, you go ahead and give them your ideas. Once that social cue has happened, whatever it is, then it's time to uh, shut up and listen. And ultimately, sometimes do what the boss wants, even if it's even if it's different than your point of view. That's how you go 36 years and not get fired. I mean, you you don't challenge to a point where you feel like you are so right that the boss is wrong and then you might lose. And then that might be your last
1: day. So don't do that. Yeah. Don't do that. That's bad. We pull back into to something you mentioned earlier. You talked about going to visit franchisees and finding the best. I understand you have a work group that trades reports and has some conference calls. Would you mind giving a little insider information on on how that came to be and and why you have a group like that?
3: It started because I only have two supervisors uh, in my company. And I said to one of my supervisors one day, I said, Hey, do you ever, his name's Terry. I said, do you ever look at Kyle's numbers? He goes, hell yeah, I got to compete against somebody. And it made me think, you know, this natural competitiveness that we have, that we all have in this brand. I thought, man, I got to stretch this out a little more. So I contacted Kevin Shaw, who I I talked to quite often. I said, Hey, you've got a few supervisors. I've only got two. Maybe we can do a little fun competition as all this technology was really taken off and he was kicking butt in shoulder surfing and getting numbers that I just hadn't seen before of load times. And I said, man, he's doing something better than we're doing. And then he got really into the hustle in, hustle out times quicker than anybody else. And I watched that and said, man, he's he's doing something great here. And that's what kind of started it. And then Becca Miller joined in and we just have a little fun, friendly competition, but a way of sharing numbers with each other and just keeping that bar high. People want to work for winners and people want to work where people have high standards. And I want to surround myself with franchisees that are winners and have high standards and compete with them in a fun, friendly way, because then you can make yourself better.
2: So to build on that a little bit, and we won't dive deep into this because I know we're all tired of talking about it, but you just said people want to work with winners and people want to work with people that have high standards. As we talk about the challenges that people are having across the country, I think the ones that are having the hardest challenges are the ones that are letting their standards slip the most. What do you think about?
3: about that. Uh, I agree with you. I I think when someone else's excuse becomes your belief, like a general manager that says, it just can't be done. We can't get to, let's just say you're at 32 minute average delivery time. And you as the franchisee want to at least get that store down to 28. You want to move it by four minutes. And the general manager convinces you it can't be done. You've just allowed their excuse to become your belief, and now it'll never get done. You have to push. It's your job sometimes, as particularly as the franchisee, you own it. You're the one responsible for the standards and the excellence in your organization. If it's bad, that's a you problem, you know, and you've got to look at how you can fix that and what you can do. And if you accept those excuses, you're doomed. You will never get better because now the team is agreeing that. Or has gotten you to agree with their lowered standard, and the best you can really hope for ever in a multi-unit business is that you'll operate at your lowest acceptable standard. So, if your lowest acceptable standard is really bad, well, that's where you're gonna that's where you're gonna operate. You got to at least raise that bar.
1: So, if you're looking to raise that bar, what are the standards for you, Stan? That you would say this is the the entry point. Like, what are the standards for you that are are the either? That bottom, where I can't take anything less than this, or if you don't do this, you can't be on my team?
3: Well, we actually have, for our general managers, we have written published rules that are the expectation and the goal. So for each category, and there's only like seven or eight of them categories, example CSAT, one of our most important measures that we look at. I love that measurement. That tool is so amazing, and I'm so happy we have it. And I wish we would have had it for the last 30 plus years, but our minimum expected standard for any store in our company is 8.00. Our goal is 8.50. So if we're below eight, we're trying to figure out what we're doing wrong and how we get above eight. If we're above 8.5, we are celebrating that store for achieving the goal. And we have you know, other categories as well, but that's one example.
2: I'm sure our listeners would love to see those rules for your general managers. Is that something that we could get from you and share, or would you rather not? Probably is. Let me review it
1: myself and I'll send it over to you. That sounds great. Let me change topics a little bit. So you're a franchisee today, and I believe when we were all together in St. Louis, you had mentioned how you felt that you were late to the franchise boat. Can you explain that a little bit? Well,
3: yeah. I mean, it's, You know, many franchisees, most of our franchisees, don't uh, do a thirty-three year career first. This is a little bit of a young man and young woman's game. You know, uh, this—you know—the energy that you got to put into this thing when you're starting off a franchise. Carolyn and I and and Buddy were. I mean, it was exhausting. You know, the first few months of doing this, darn near broke me. But, you know, thinking back to all those struggles and I said, well, you know, we made it through a lot worse than this. And these are these are good times and we're going to persevere. But I wish in many cases I think about I I don't wish I could go back and do it all over again because I enjoyed my corporate career. I wouldn't change a thing. But if I had a time machine or some special button that could make me 34 years old now instead of 54 years old, I think I'd have a lot more fun doing this.
2: We are working on that button as we speak because I think Drew and I would like to have that button as well. I think much the same way you did. I mean, I would have loved to have been a consultant when I was 20, but I think all the experiences that the the past three and a half decades. Have given us, have brought us to a point where we can be successful in what we're choosing to do now. So, you know, I'm with yep. you. I, I, I wouldn't change the journey. There were certainly some well documented setbacks and some really great accomplishments, but they all led us to where we're at now. So, I think that's great. You know, with that said, I, I think a lot of general managers out in the world, a lot of people that are listening now, are experiencing some setbacks and some trials and some tribulations and some just hard fought battles and challenges when you talk in front of people and you say, don't quit. Why is that so important to you?
3: Well, because I almost did it as a general manager, I was pulling doubles, you know, running a lot of shifts, uh, working my tail off. And I just thought at some point, you know, it gets so stressful sometimes inside those four walls. And today's general manager has it 10 times, if not 100 times harder than I had it. Yeah, and I thought it was tough back then. It's really hard today to run a store and run it successfully. But life is hard. And life is hard to run successfully for an extended period of time. And don't give up on the career that's working for you. Because if you chase something else, you might find out that it's worse in many areas. You only see the better. When you're looking for a change and you're looking across that other side of the fence and you see that grass and you say, man, that is greener. And you, it's not till you jump over it that you realize that they have their problems too. And I've seen so many people do it. And the move that I almost made as a general manager was to go become an assistant manager at a rental Center. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't think of a worse job than being an assistant manager at a rental Center, calling people that didn't pay for their TV that they rented and trying to get the money back. At some point, I talked myself out of it right as I was about to quit. And boy, am I glad I did because. Who knows? I'd probably still be uh, trying to collect bills at that rent center
1: Yeah, that
2: doesn't seem like something that would make me jump out of bed and want to get my feet on the ground. That's for sure. Wow. The thing
3: that you look at is, <laughs> well, what I looked at was, well, the hours are probably better. I don't have to close. I don't have to deal with the driver anymore. That's a pain in my butt. You start thinking about all the negatives of the job. But what you don't think about at that moment are the positives. And you sometimes just got to snap yourself out of it and realize how much you've already invested. And by that point, I was only 20 years old, but I was in the company for two years. And I had invested a ton of hours and a ton of time into learning this craft. And why throw all that away? To go try to start over again somewhere else. And if you keep doing that, you'll be 50 and you'll be working a different job every two or three years and you will have never truly developed a career.
2: Yeah, that doesn't seem like a great way to go to me. I I was working with a a client that had a general manager that was... You know, looking over the fence and looking at going to a chicken place or something. And we started talking about the challenges that she was having. And it turned out most of the challenges were centered around her and the way that she led. And I said, Yeah, the grass might be greener over there, but if you go there, you're taking your challenges and and need for development with you. Why don't you stay here where you're making pizza and you know you're you're delivering a million smiles a day and having a great time doing it. I think we've got a lot of folks out there that just need somebody to hear what they're going through and help them get to that point that you were able to get to on your own because it's it's challenging out there. When you said it's 10 times harder to run a store today than it was you know, when we did it, God, I, I it's so true. Nine toppings, Coke, one kind of dough. It was easy peasy, lemon squeezy.
3: Yes, that it was. And what the advice I would give for general managers is talk to others that you want to be like, talk to others that you admire. Don't surround yourself again with that fellowship of the miserable and just start to get the positive energy to rub off on you. When you're feeling negative, have somebody that you trust and you value their opinion of and share your thoughts with them. And I bet they've gone through it too. Whatever the struggle is, I bet they've been there or they might even be there now and you'll work through it together. Like I said, we're a culture that likes to get together. And sometimes those four walls of the store can really close in on you. And you feel like you're all alone. You feel like you're the only one that had extremes last night. You feel like you're the only one that can't seem to run labor and service together. You feel like you're the only one having staffing challenges. And then when you reach out to some others, it's like, oh, at least they're going through it too, or they have. And I respect and admire this person. I'm gonna figure out how to get through this. That sounds great. What what
2: are you doing in your company to help people further their career? It seems to me I saw some time back you had maybe sponsored someone or helped someone become a franchisee. Is that am I remembering that correctly?
3: Yes. The we have a vision for our franchise, and it's nine simple words to impress every customer while developing leaders into franchisees. And as I break down that statement, the first part. Is extremely important to impress every customer. Impressing a customer doesn't just mean getting it there in 18, 19 minutes. Yeah, that's a huge part of it. You are off to a great start, but you better make a great pizza. You better have a smiling driver. You better hustle up to that door. You better not forget the dip cups. I mean, there's a lot that's involved in impressing the customer in today's Domino's pizza. So that is the first thing that we strive to do in our company. And every day, every moment of the day, I want everyone on my team thinking about that and operating with that filter. Is what I'm about to do going to impress the customer or not? And then the second part of the statement is developing leaders. I want to constantly work to develop leadership amongst my team. And that means, again, I said before, letting them make some mistakes, letting them be in charge, letting them grow. And then the last word Is franchisees. I don't expect every member of my team to become a franchisee, but I get very excited when I get the opportunity to help some achieve that if that's what their dream is. And we did have two last year. Kevin Young uh, purchased two stores for me, and he was a supervisor on our team. And Tamara and Daniel Traub bought a store uh, last year as well. They were assistant, both of them were assistant managers when I. Became a franchisee in August of 18 for me, and both were general managers by the time they went in and bought that store together. That's fantastic. Yeah, Daniel has always been very active
2: on the chats and seems to be just a wealth of knowledge when it comes to the Pulse system. And it's so good to see that, that those two got a store. That's, that's really cool of you.
3: Yeah, they've been uh, they've been great in this brand for a long time. They were general managers before at uh, other franchises, and yeah, Daniel is a tech wizard, no doubt. Yeah,
2: he's he knows what's going on. So you mentioned that it's really important to take care of a, every customer, and one of the things you said was making a great pizza. As I travel around the country and work with franchisees, it seems like we've got an affinity to be all over whatever the latest, greatest technology is or whatever the latest initiative is. We, we seem to be very good at, at changing direction and getting up to speed on on what's new. But if I were being 100% honest, it seems to me like as a system, we're starting to slip from the importance of what Tom used to just preach. And that's product, service and image and product, especially. I mean, I, I just am not seeing on a regular basis, quality pizzas, like, like we used to see, and that, that worries me. What, what kinds of things do you do in your 13 stores to make sure that you don't take your eye off the ball of, of the very foundation of what makes the customer experience great?
3: Well, it's constant focus and it's constantly reminding people that great pizza is what we do. So I mentioned our vision. Of to impress every customer while developing leaders into franchisees. The next statement we have is our goal. We just have a simple goal on every order, which is great pizza safely delivered in 21 minutes or less by a smiling driver. It starts the fundamental core of our business has always been service. And we talk about it all the time. I mean, ad nauseum sometimes, but you know, that's just what we have to do. We have to stay focused on every single second because we know that that's the foundation of our business. And we know that's what customers expect from us. But what they also expect is to open that box and say, man, I can't wait to eat that. That looks fantastic. That's what we have to take responsibility for every day. When we're in a store and we don't call a remake on an ugly pizza and assistant managers work in that shift, they look over, they see what we put in a the box. They say, well, there's the lowest acceptable standard. Um, I guess I'm okay. We have to raise that standard and make those pizzas great. Or those customers will forget that we gave them a great deal, forget that the pizza was delivered quickly. They'll forget. I remember a quote that I used to have actually in my office as a general manager was the bitterness of poor quality remains long after the sweetness of the low price is forgotten. Just because we give them a great
1: deal doesn't mean that they're going to accept a mediocre pizza. So you mentioned that the great deal and you mentioned the mediocre pizza, which we don't want to have an abundance of. And we want an abundance of those great pizzas and the smiling drivers and your vision and your integrity statement, your, your guiding principles. So Stan, I'd mentioned how we read books. And one of the books we we just finished a couple weeks ago was a book called Clone Yourself, where the author, Jeff Hilderman, goes into great detail about creating and finding the person that can take over for you to be that next leader. It's amazing as you go through what you're saying, that it follows exactly what he's charging a whole lot for in his book. So congratulations.
3: (laughs) Well... Well, oh, good. Uh, I, I will I will take that as a compliment. And uh, I now just think this guy's pretty uh, intelligent. I'm just going to uh, chalk him up to one of my favorite authors right there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: nice, Nicely played. So, you know, you keep referencing your vision and values. For franchisees out there that haven't taken the time to come up with what their vision and values are, how important was it to you when you were becoming a franchisee to make sure that you had something that you could obviously circle back to as much as you do.
3: Yeah, well, that's part of, you know, earlier you asked me about becoming a franchisee uh, later in life and the positive of that, although there are many days when I get home and I wish I was, my body was 20 years younger. I don't wish that my mind was. I learned a lot from a lot of great people in all those years of visiting all those franchisees and so many international markets and all over the U.S. I learned that the best ones had had a way of communicating down to the driver level, what they wanted in their company. And I thought about it immediately. As soon as I decided to become a franchisee, I I sat down with a piece of paper and a pen and I just started scribbling of what do I want? What do I want if if my driver is in an elevator and delivering a pizza and somebody walks into that elevator and says... Oh Domino's. Why do you work for Domino's? I want to be happy and proud about what he says or she says. Uh, you know, that's that's what did it for me and that's why I did that and I started my first meeting with my team. I I let them know why we were here and if they wanted to be part of that, then great and if they didn't I wanted to give them the opportunity to exit gracefully.
1: How is it that you communicated that to your team? How is it that new driver knows that it's a great pizza delivered in 21 minutes by a smiling driver or that it's that you're there to impress every customer while developing leaders in the franchisees? How does that driver know that?
3: Well, they may not every driver, they may not all recite that word for word, and I'm okay if they don't but it's their actions that matter. And the actions that they see in their general manager is what makes the difference. You know, I think back to a general manager that changed my life forever, a guy that's in my hall of fame, my manager, Joe, when I was a driver and an incident where he wanted me to take a free pizza to a customer and I didn't. And I said, man, you're crazy. I'm not giving this pizza free. She didn't order from us. And it happened to be 1986 when Pizza Hut was testing delivery in Cleveland, Ohio. They were delivering out of these essentially ghost kitchens. Pretty ironic that all these years later, those are popular now and Pizza Hut was doing it. They were hiding because they didn't want to, the customer to believe that they were anything other than the Red Roof Pizza Hut. Well, I begrudgingly delivered this pizza free to this woman who did not place an order. I was confident because I searched through the door slips and I knew she did not place an order, but he said, take it to her free. And as, as I got out of my car, I saw someone else getting out of their car. And before you knew it, we were both, I noticed he was carrying a hot bag and we were both approaching the sidewalk up to her door at the same time. And I started moving a little faster and he started moving a little faster. And of course I beat him to the front door and she opened the door and said, oh my God, I can't believe this. I screwed up. I forgot I called you Pizza Hut an hour and a half ago because I normally call Domino's. And she gave me a $5 tip, which was at the time the biggest tip I've had in my history, and sent him away and said, leave. Never mind. I don't want your pizza. She made a mistake. My manager didn't care to challenge her because my manager was operating from the same kind of filter I want. My manager's operating from, which is the customer's always right. If the customer's ever wrong, refer to rule number one. He did that. He didn't question it. He didn't challenge it. And wow, we made a customer. Not only do we make a customer for life, he changed my attitude for life about customers and service and leadership. And that's what I want to happen in my stores. If my GMs are acting like that in that moment of truth, then I know my drivers, CSRs, and assistant managers will be feeling the vision of our company even if they don't know the exact words.
2: That's awesome. And you know, to that story from, from so many years ago where the manager just did what, what they wanted because the customer was always right, one of the things that I've been trying to get through to the young leader's head is not only is it okay to do it, but it's just easier. It's just easier to say yes and make the pizza and be done with it than it is to become CSI Dominoes. And did you really order? Dun, dun,
1: dun.
3: Yeah, I think the hardest thing to eat is a, is a spoonful of pride. And once you do that, and you get that down, then you're absolutely right, Sam. It is way easier. You could spend the next 10 minutes arguing with that customer. You could have them potentially come up to the store. You could have them call customer care, and then you have to go open up a case and figure that out. You could do all of that, or you could just... Swallow that spoonful of pride, tell the customer that they're absolutely right. Say, I am so sorry. When you throw that little word so into an apology, it gives it a genuine feel. So when you say, I am so sorry, this is my fault, I will fix it. And then it's just gone. The problem leaves you. The customer may have scammed you. Yep, that may have happened. But man, you don't spend the next 10 minutes or 10 hours on it. You go on to something better. And who cares if they scammed you?
2: I mean, the residual effect of a bad customer interaction it's you know it 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 turns the whole room in to just negativity give them what they want get on with your life
3: exactly right it's the you know somebody taught me a long time ago never argue with the customer you just might win and there was a time when i felt like i was right and i hung up the phone on a customer and That customer never ordered again. I was pretty happy for about five minutes. I'm like, ha ha. I knew I caught him again. Never saw the order. That customer moved on to somebody else and I lost him forever. That's a valuable lesson. It's easier to say now that I'm standing in an office, uh, not in a store. It's really hard when you're in your store and you're sweating and a driver just called off and a pizza just hit the floor and then the customers on the phone saying they didn't get what they wanted. It's really hard to take that breath, swallow that pride and give them what they want. Apologize, give them what they want, give them something extra. It's hard to do that, but that's what great leaders do. It's easy to be weak in that moment.
2: Yeah. And I think what you just said there is the most important part for younger leaders to understand is that it's really easy for you in your office to say that or me sitting in front of a microphone to say that because we don't have all of those distractions for people that can somehow take that breath and clear their mind and realize that letting the customer win is going to be a bigger win for them and the brand and for their mental state of
1: mind. Those are the people that I think are going to be truly successful in this business. agree. Let's see, Stan, with that, we have taken up a lot of your time this morning. I want to thank you for joining us on this fabulous little journey today. Happy to be with you guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely.
2: Yes, Stan, always great to talk to you and spend some time with you. Thank you so much for being on the podcast.
3: Thanks. You're welcome, Sam.
2: Thanks again to Stan Gage for uh, just what is always an enlightening conversation. And like we were talking about earlier, surrounding yourself with great people. You heard Stan say that as well, that his his way of self-growth is by surrounding himself. He's a hands-on guy. He likes to hear what other folks are doing. So thanks again, Stan, for that. We really appreciate your time. That was fantastic. Drew, I think we should jump to our last ad. Drew, we've talked a lot about training
0: and we did a virtual training event. Do you think we should do another one? I think we should, Sam. And I think we should do it on August 24th at 2 p.m. That sounds great to me. And let's do this one all about service. Let's put the service in product, service, and image. I'm a huge fan of that, Sam. And what breakout should we do? Well, let's start with how to get faster in the store. Let's call that speed on the front end. How about then we do dispatching with efficiency? I like it. And let's finish it up with aces in their places. I like it.
1: Same cost as the last one, 49 bucks per ticket.
0: Yeah, I think we should do a $5 discount. Discount code podcast. I like
1: that, Sam. Five bucks off for podcast
0: at checkout. And you're going to go to trainwithbty.com to register.
2: Again, that's trainwithbty.com to register.
1: Register today. And now we get to hear from Willie.
0: Just can't wait to get on the road again.
2: The life I love is making music with my friend. And I
1: can't wait to get on the road again. Dan, where are you off to on the road? Well, Drew, for me,
2: obviously we've got the virtual training coming up with uh, service. We're going to put the service in product, service, and image. I'm really excited about that. In your taking, you talked about celebrations. I've got a trip coming out to Stockton, California, where I'm going to be part of their world's fastest pizza maker competition. I'm going to be a judge. So I've got to, I've got to dust off the rust from being a judge because I know you had a stint as a judge in a world's fastest pizza maker and. I'll be honest with you. You and I did that together. Yeah I, yeah, I think being a judge is maybe more stressful than being a
1: participant. It goes on longer.
2: <laughs> it definitely goes on longer. But, you know, you've got the fate of these folks that have practiced and prepared in your hands and you see something and you're like, oh, my God, do I need to call it? Do I not need? And you've got like. I don't know, a split second to make that order of a second. Yeah, to make yeah. that decision because if you're late on making that decision then you've ruined their chances and that's um that can be pretty stressful. But I'm looking forward to it and then after that going to head to Vegas for the DFA National Conference, looking forward to seeing all of our franchisee friends there. I've got a T3 coming up in Virginia sometime in October. Still working on those dates. Hopefully by the time this podcast drops, I will have finalized those dates. Also going to spend some time with Anthony Satterwhite and doing that service hands-on workshop. Uh, Anthony, if you're listening, that means that you said yes by now.
1: How about you, Drew? Where are you off to? August is Ohio month for me. I have a couple follow-up visits to do with Satterwhite, uh, Brian Edler, Chris Short, Chris Slater. Yeah, there you go. Class with as well. So it's Ohio month for me in August. Me and the Black Avalanche will be driving around. You'll see me all over the fabulous rolling hills of Ohio. And Sam, I just wanted to let you know as well that I've put together a six-part webinar based off of Clone Yourself, based off of Stan talking about his guiding principles and his vision and his mission. I have a way to help you build yours if you don't have that already set for your organization, reach out and I'll help you out. Hey, that sounds great. I look forward to seeing that.
2: So thanks so much for listening. I think we should land this plane. What do you think, Drew? I'm all for it, Sam. As always, you've been listening to this old married couple. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love it if you'd share these episodes with your friends, like them, follow us, and subscribe so you never miss an episode. This has been episode number 15 of Drew and Sam
0: Talk Training. I'm Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting.
2: And I'm pretty sure I'm Sam with Foxer Consulting. Go out and sell more pizzas. Oh,
1: my gosh. And please have more fun.
2: That's all, folks. (laughs)